This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of TKA prosthesis design from the recon section on orthobullets.com. So as a quick introduction, prosthesis designs include unconstrained, constrained, and fixed versus mobile bearing. Examples of unconstrained designs include a posterior cruciate retaining or CR design and a posterior cruciate substituting or PS design. Constrained designs include non-hinged and hinged. Now let's talk about a brief history of TKA prosthesis design. So in the 19th century, interposition of soft tissues for reconstruction of articular surfaces was used. In the 1950s, Waldius designs the first hinged knee replacement. In 1958, Macintosh and McKeever introduce an acrylic tibial plateau prosthesis to correct deformity. In the 1960s, Gunston introduces the first cemented surface arthroplasty of the knee joint. In 1970, Guapar develops a new hinge prosthesis based on the design by Waldius that increases motion and decreases bone loss. Around 1973, a total condylar prosthesis is introduced, which is the first to resurface all three compartments, and this was a PCL sacrificing design. Now let's talk about concepts in prosthetic design. The important concepts to know include femoral rollback, constraint, modularity, and fixation. So starting with femoral rollback, this is defined as the posterior translation of the femur with progressive flexion. The importance of this concept is that femoral rollback improves quadriceps function and range of knee flexion by preventing posterior impingement during deep flexion. As far as the biomechanics, know that rollback in the native knee is controlled by the ACL and PCL. In terms of design implications, both the PCL retaining and PCL substituting designs allow for femoral rollback. In PCL retaining designs, the native PCL promotes posterior displacement of the femoral condyles similar to a native knee, and this exhibits paradoxical anterior translation in the first 40 degrees of flexion. In PCL substituting designs, the tibial post contacts the femoral cam, causing posterior displacement of the femur. Moving on to constraint, this is defined as the ability of a prosthesis to provide varus valgus and flexion extension stability in the face of ligamentous laxity or bone loss. As far as the importance of constraint, know that in the setting of ligamentous laxity or severe bone loss, standard cruciate retaining or posterior stabilized implants may not provide stability. So as far as design implications, in order of least constrained to most constrained, the least constraining is a cruciate retaining design, then a posterior stabilized or cruciate substituting design, then a varus valgus constrained or a non-hinge design, and then finally a rotating hinge is the most constrained. Moving on to modularity, this is defined as the ability to augment a standard prosthesis to balance soft tissues and or restore bone loss. Options include a metal tibial base plate with a modular polyethylene insert. This is more expensive than an all polyethylene tibial component and has an equivalent rate of aseptic loosening compared with all polyethylene tibial components. Other options include metal augmentation for bone loss and modular femoral and tibial stems. The advantages of modularity is the ability to customize an implant intraoperatively. Disadvantages include increased rates of osteolysis in modular components and backside polyethylene wear, which is micromotion between the tibial base plate and the undersurface of the polyethylene insert that occurs during loading. Finally, in terms of fixation, options include cemented and cementless. Cemented has proven survivorship and function, while cementless has a trabecular surface that allows for long-term biologic fixation. Now let's talk about a cruciate retaining or CR design in a bit more detail. 
So as far as design, this is a minimally constrained prosthesis that depends on an intact PCL to provide stability in flexion. The indications include arthritis with minimal bone loss and minimal soft tissue laxity, as well as an intact PCL. Other indications include a varus deformity that is less than 10 degrees and a valgus deformity that is less than 15 degrees. In terms of radiographs, know that radiographs won't show a box in the central portion of the femoral component as PS knees have. Be sure to look at the difference between CR knee radiographs and PS knee radiographs on orthobullets.com or the Bullets app. The advantages of a cruciate retaining or CR design is that it avoids tibial post-cam impingement slash dislocation that may occur in PS knees. Other advantages is that it more closely resembles normal knee kinematics, although this is controversial. Other advantages include that less distal femur needs to be cut than in a PS knee. There's improved proprioception with preservation of the native PCL. Know that newer poly options can allow for PCL substitution via an anterior stabilized or ultra-congruent shapes in cases of PCL insufficiency without loss of functional results. Disadvantages of a CR design include that a tight PCL may cause accelerated polyethylene wear, and a loose or ruptured PCL may lead to flexion instability and subluxation. Now let's talk about a posture stabilized or PS design. So in terms of the design of a PS knee, this is a slightly more constrained prosthesis that requires sacrifice of the PCL. Now the resection of the PCL increases the flexion gap in relationship to the extension gap, so the posterior must be matched to avoid flexion extension mismatch. Know that in PS designs, the femoral component contains a cam that engages the tibial polyethylene post during flexion, and the polyethylene inserts are more congruent or deeply dished. Indications of a PS design include a previous patellectomy as it reduces the risk of potential anteroposterior instability in the setting of a weak extensor mechanism. Other indications include inflammatory arthritis as inflammatory arthritis may lead to late PCL rupture. And finally, another indication is a deficient or absent PCL. As far as radiographs in the setting of a PS design knee, the lateral radiograph will show the outline of the cam or box in the femoral component. Advantages of a PS design is that it's easier to balance a knee with an absent PCL. There's also arguably more range of motion, and it's an easier surgical exposure. Disadvantages include cam jump, tibial post-polyethylene wear, and patellar clunk syndrome. The mechanism of cam jump is that with a loose flexion gap or in hyperextension, the cam can rotate over the post and dislocate. Treatment initially will be closed reduction by performing an anterior drawer maneuver. The final treatment will be revision to address the loose flexion gap. The mechanism of patellar clunk syndrome is scar tissue that gets caught in the box as the knee moves into extension. The treatment will be arthroscopic versus open resection of scar tissue. Another disadvantage of a PS knee design is that additional bone is cut from the distal femur to balance the extension gap. Now let's talk about a constrained non-hinged design. So in terms of design, this is a constrained prosthesis without an axle connecting the tibial and femoral components. This is what makes it a non-hinged design. So with a constrained non-hinged design, a large tibial post and deep femoral box provide varus slash valgus stability as well as rotational stability. Indications for a constrained non-hinged design include LCL attenuation or deficiency, MCL attenuation or deficiency, flexion gap laxity, and moderate bone loss in the setting of neuropathic arthropathy. Advantages of a constrained non-hinged design is that the prosthesis allows stability in the face of soft tissue that is ligamentous or bony deficiency. 
Disadvantages of a constrained non-hinged design include that there is more femoral bone resection that is necessary to accommodate the large box, as well as aseptic loosening as a result of increased constraint. Now let's talk about constrained hinge designs. So in terms of the design, this is the most constrained prosthesis with a linked femoral and tibial component, which is what makes it a hinge design. The design also includes a tibial bearing that rotates around a yoke on the tibial platform. This is known as a rotating hinge, and this decreases the overall level of constraint. Indications for a constrained hinge design includes global ligamentous deficiency, hyperextension instability, which is seen in polio or tumor resections. Other indications include resection for tumor, as well as massive bone loss in the setting of a neuropathic joint. Advantages of a constrained hinge design is that the prosthesis allows stability in the face of soft tissue that is ligamentous or bony deficiency. Disadvantages include aseptic loosening as a result of increased constraint, as well as a large amount of bone resection that is required. Now let's talk about a mobile bearing design. So in terms of the design, this is a minimally constrained prosthesis where the polyethylene can rotate on the tibial base plate. The PCL is removed at the time of surgery. Indications include young, active patients, however, this is a relative indication. Advantages of a mobile bearing design is that it theoretically reduces polyethylene wear. This is because there's increased contact area reduces pressure placed on the polyethylene. Remember, pressure equals force over area. Disadvantages of a mobile bearing design is bearing spin-out. As far as the mechanism, this occurs as a result of a loose flexion gap, and the tibia rotates behind the femur. The initial treatment for bearing spin-out will be closed reduction, and the final treatment will be revision to address a loose flexion gap. Now let's go over all polyethylene base plates. So as far as design, the tibial base plate is a solid block of polyethylene as opposed to a metal tray with a poly insert. As far as indications, there is no clear indications for an all-polyethylene base plate. Advantages of an all-polyethylene base plate is that it's less expensive, and there's decreased rates of osteolysis. The major disadvantage is that you lose modular flexibility. As far as outcomes, studies show equivalent functional outcomes with decreased cost. Now let's talk about highly congruent liners. So as far as design, medial compartment concavity allows the lateral compartment to translate between flexion and extension. This creates a medial pivot. As far as indications, there are no clear indications. As far as advantages, highly congruent liners may better create native knee kinematics. As far as outcomes, studies show equivalent outcomes and survivorship in short and midterm studies. Now let's end this review session talking about patient-specific instrumentation. So as far as design, femoral and tibial cutting block instrumentation is based on imaging specific to the patient's anatomy. As far as indications, there are no clear indications at this time. Advantages include less instrumentation to process perioperatively. As far as outcomes, there is no obvious cost-benefit from patient-specific instrumentation, there is no obvious benefit in post-operative TKA alignment, and there is no obvious benefit in outcomes or patient satisfaction. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic might be tested. First question. Resection of the posterior cruciate ligament during total knee arthroplasty simulates which of the following techniques below? And the choices are 1. Excessive distal femur resection 2. Excessive distal femur augmentation 3. Excessive posterior femur resection 4. Excessive posterior femur augmentation and 5. Oversized femoral component The correct answer to this question is 3. Excessive posterior femur resection.
So the posterior cruciate ligament, or PCL resection, during total knee arthroplasty results in a relative increase in the flexion gap compared to the extension gap. This effect simulates excessive posterior femur resection, which also results in an increased flexion gap. The PCL acts as a central stabilizer to prevent posterior subluxation, allows femoral condyle rollback on the tibial plateau during flexion, and permits clearance of the tibia in high degrees of flexion to improve the mechanical efficiency of the extensor mechanism. The PCL may be preserved or resected during TKA. Biomechanical studies have demonstrated that after PCL resection, the flexion gap increases significantly compared with the extension gap. This has implications on gap balancing during posture stabilizing or PS total knee arthroplasty as the flexion gap must match the extension gap. Park et al. performed a study to investigate the change in the medial lateral gap in flexion and extension after PCL resection in severely deformed knees and its effect on bone resection, rotation, and size of the femoral component. They reported that after PCL resection, the flexion gap increased significantly compared with the extension gap. They concluded that PCL resection in PSTKA designs necessitates an increase in the size of the femoral component to balance the resulting gap mismatch. Sierra et al. published an article on the surgical technique differences between cruciate retaining, or CR, and PSTKA designs. They reported that PCL resection selectively opens the flexion space approximately 2 mm more than the extension space, resulting in some flexion instability. They recommend that in PS total knee arthroplasties, surgeons must avoid flexion instability due to an extra-large flexion space caused by PCL sacrifice and post-operative knee flexion contracture by under-resection of the distal femur. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, excessive distal femur resection is incorrect as this would result in a knee loosening extension. Answer 2, excessive distal femur augmentation is incorrect as this would result in a knee tight in extension. Answer 4, excessive posterior femur augmentation, and answer 5, oversized femoral component are both incorrect, as these would result in a knee tight inflection. And moving on to the final question, you are performing a primary total knee arthroplasty and decide to use a design with a highly congruent medial compartment to try to replicate native knee kinematics. As the knee goes from flexion to extension, where is the center of pivot and how does the femur rotate and translate? And the choices are 1, lateral pivot, and the femur externally rotates and anteriorly translates. 2, medial pivot, where the femur externally rotates and posteriorly translates. 3, lateral pivot, where the femur internally rotates and anteriorly translates. 4, medial pivot, where the femur internally rotates and anteriorly translates. And 5, medial pivot, where the femur internally rotates and posteriorly translates. The correct answer to this question is for medial pivot where the femur internally rotates and anteriorly translates. So in terminal extension, the femur internally rotates relative to the tibia and the lateral femoral condyle translates anteriorly. To quickly review, highly congruent liners offer a highly conforming articular geometry via a tibial polyethylene to control kinematics and confer stability. In the native knee, the medial femoral condyle and the lateral femoral condyle do not move symmetrically. Rather, the larger medial femoral condyle remains fairly immobile and acts as a pivot center while the smaller lateral femoral condyle glides posteriorly during knee flexion, causing femoral external rotation and femoral rollback. Highly congruent liners use high articular congruence medially to keep the medial side positioned centrally. The medial side concavity is spherical and holds the medial femoral condyle in place while it rotates in flexion. The lateral side is more of a slot than a dish 
allowing the lateral femoral condyle to glide posteriorly in flexion. Finally, the anterior lip of the liner is raised to prevent anterior translation of the femur during flexion. Atzori et al. described the medial pivot knee in total knee arthroplasty. They note that when a PS or CR polyethylene liner is used for TKA, excellent clinical results are generally obtained, but knee kinematics are altered from native. This can result in a paradoxical anterior slide of the femur inflection, especially in a PCL incompetent CR knee, resulting in inferior quadriceps function and reduced flexion. Fang et al. report on a computational model comparing the medial pivot designs with or without the posterior cruciate ligament, or PCL. They conclude that either the PCL or post-CAM mechanism is necessary for medial pivot prostheses to regain normal kinematics after total knee arthroplasty. The morphology of a medial tibial insert was also shown to produce a small but noticeable effect on knee kinematics. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, all of the other answers incorrectly state the normal kinematics of the knee towards terminal extension. Towards terminal extension, the femur internally rotates relative to the tibia and the lateral femoral condyle translates anteriorly. When the knee goes from extension to flexion, the femur externally rotates relative to the tibia and undergoes posterior rollback. That is, the lateral femoral condyle contact pressures translates posteriorly. That's all for this review about TKA prosthesis design. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.